Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Second Corinthians chapter 11, we'll be turning to Second Corinthians chapter, chapter number 2 today. 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, amen. We're just going to go back and we're going to look at some things and uh, reacquaint ourselves and make ourselves aware of some things. And this may prove to be uh, more beneficial perhaps to uh, people that have not been in church for a long time, uh, rather maybe than some of you veterans around here. Uh, but with that being said, I pray that you just back up what I'm saying, all right, and let these people know that that, that w- what I'm saying is truth. It's exactly right uh, this morning. So we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. I'd like to read verses 2 and 3 there. The Bible says for, this is Paul speaking now. He's speaking to the Corinthian church. He says, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Verse 3, he says, but I fear. He said, least by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility. So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, if you can go backwards to chapter 2 of the same book, Go backwards to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll, we'll pick up verse 11 there. You might get these flip-flop because I know I did a little bit because I read from chapter 11, now I'm going to verse 11. So uh, in 2 Corinthians though 2 and verse 11, uh, the apostle says this. He said, at least Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And for a little while this morning, I'd like to kind of pull back the cover off of our adversary today and expose some of those devices that uh, maybe the veterans around here are, are uh, familiar with, but others that are maybe starting this walk with the Lord are not so familiar with. And so I'm going to just talk to us a little bit about empty promises today. Just a little bit about empty promises. Will you help me right now and let's pray. Father, Lord, I come to you this morning. I pray, oh God, you know, Lord, what's taken place, Lord, in our atmosphere, in our community, Lord, in our church, in these families. God, while we, Lord, can only derive, God, what's going on, Lord, in a natural means, there is a supernatural means, Father, God, that is taking place as well. And I pray, oh, Lord, today bring every mind and every thought, Lord, to captivity this morning. I pray, Jesus, that you're able, Lord, to strengthen, God, perhaps the newness, Lord, of a convert. God, and you're able, Lord Jesus, God, I pray, Lord, to cause our mind to remember, God, that we are dealing, God, with an adversary and an enemy that does not play fair I pray oh God today help us today as we look at these words God that we would once again just relish in the idea that we are not ignorant of his devices in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen you may be seated this morning empty empty promises empty promises um 
I'll try my best not to jump all over the place, but it would be very easy this morning uh, to do so. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's speaking to this Corinthian church that is beginning to be founded. They have just got their feet wet in Christianity. They still have a lot of struggles that they are going to be contending with. But there is a notion of uh, some false teachers, false prophets, falsehoods of any, of any uh, a measure coming in and trying to sway the Corinthian church from what they have just embraced. And he spoke to them and told them how he is uh, jealous over them with a godly jealousy. And uh, he is really stepping into the mode and the place as though he uh, were a representation of Christ to them, a representation of this God. And he says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy because I have espoused you, he said, to one husband. One husband. I, I, from the standpoint of being the man in my family and having the wife that I do, I tell you this. That if there was, if my wife was vying for someone else's attention, there might be hair stand on the back of my neck like a cat. Because I married her to be mine and to be solely mine. That's in every dimension and aspect of marriage and my life. So there would be a jealousy, and I think a well-founded jealousy. There can be jealousy that is unfounded, that is wrong and incorrect, but I believe there is a jealousy that is also proper. Even God himself spoke to us that he was jealous of us, jealous of our, our commitment and our, our worship and our consecration to him. And Paul is saying, he's saying, hey, we're, we're jealous over you of godly jealousy. Don't let these other falsehoods be stealing your or stealing my your attention from me, so to speak. Uh, let not these other things creep in like that. He said, because I, I want to and that I may present to you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I want you to be untainted and undefiled. I don't want there to be anyone else that has had their hands on you. Amen. Nobody else to derive pleasure from you but one. And with that being said, and it is a counterpart or something that comes along with jealousy. He says, but I fear. Jealousy and fear walk hand in hand. Jealousy comes out of some fear that's within yourself. That maybe this is going a direction it doesn't need to go. I see something I don't like here. I'm afraid. So there is jealousy. So he's saying, as, as much as I want you to be with, with, with one spouse here and one husband and united to God, he says, I have a fear. And he says, my fear is that, and here, is, here it is in a nutshell, folks, as Satan or as the serpent, if you will, beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupt from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. What Paul was saying, I'm fearful that the same tactics that Eve succumbed to in the Garden of Eden, the same warfare that the adversary posed against her in the Garden of Eden, that you in this day, although generations removed from that time, will succumb to the same thing. And the reason being is, folks, the enemy has no new tricks. 
The enemy has no new tricks, largely perhaps because the tricks that he used from the beginning has to himself done the deed well. So, you know, it's kind of like, why, why fix something if it's not broken? The schemes that he has used on God's people from the very beginning is the same schemes he used upon Abraham and David, the same schemes he used upon Noah, and therefore the same schemes and tactics he uses upon us today. That's the reason the Apostle Paul could say plainly that we are not ignorant of your devices. Because yes, we live in an ever-changing world and technology changes and all these things changes, but the tactics of the enemy are the same. So if you want to know how the enemy is going to frustrate you and attack you and come against you, just pick up your Bible and start reading in Genesis and you'll begin to see a theme of how the enemy attacks God's people and how he did it then, so he does now. So we can equip ourselves and be on guard for the adversary. There's some tools that he's not ever laid down. Amen. There are some things the enemy still does. If I may just throw a few of them out there by word of mouth today, he still uses the element of temptation. Genesis brought it into the picture. He still uses the element of temptation that James in New Testament Scripture, who was the, 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 the pastor of the Jerusalem church, talked about temptation. The enemy still uses deception. Mm-hmm. Amen. Bob even speaks of himself appearing as an angel of light. He still uses deception, and he still uses it for us today. He still uses this element of doubt. Amen. Don't tell me the devil has never used doubt against you. Cause you to second guess your relationship with God. Come and tell you you don't have the Holy Ghost. Come tell you you're not saved. Mm-hmm. Come tell you that uh, <laughs> all kinds of things that the enemy will tell you. He still uses this element called lust. Man, this isn't anything new. This is old. These are tactics. He still uses pride. Oh, a great weapon and tool within him, pride. So he uses all these things against God's people. And so Paul was fearing. He said, I'm afraid you're going to succumb to the same old tricks. I'm afraid you're going to succumb to the same old ways because he doesn't have any new ways. He doesn't have any new tactics. They're old and they're aged, but they worked then and they're going to work now. So the enemy has not changed his tactics this morning. Amen. So we live in an ever-changing world that has a never-changing God and in many respects a never-changing adversary. So he doesn't change his tactics. Tactics, the, the, the elements that he used upon Eve is what he uses now. It's a verse of scripture I wish to go to this morning of John 8 and verse number 44. The Bible says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because, listen now, there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. The adversary that I'm speaking to you about today, he's not only a liar, 
But he is the originator. He is the father of it. He is the originator, the creator of lies. The first lie, or you could, if it makes you feel better, half truth. <laughs> the first lie or half truth ever brought up in Scripture was by the serpent, was by the adversary. And so he still uses that tactic today. For that matter, it's Im listen to me plainly here right now, it's impossible for him to tell the truth. The Scripture said that he abode not in the truth because, if you can put it back up there, sister, John 8, 44, because there is no truth in him. He can't abide in truth because he's void of truth. But here's what I want you to understand today. Because a great tactic he uses against God's people at any juncture along the road, but particularly people who are just coming in the church, is that he will boldface lie to you. And he'll lie to you in such a fashion, he'll want you to take that lie as though it is truth. Have you ever heard anybody tell you something that you was a little questionable about? and you, you, you talked to somebody else about it, and they said, consider the source. Whenever the enemy comes and starts talking to you, and you're questioning the validity of what he's saying, let me give you some uh, uh, advice today. Consider the source. Since the only thing, thank you for listening, honey. Little Destiny's listening today. And understand well today, there is no truth in him. He cannot speak the truth if we're standing on the Bible in front of Jesus. He can't speak the truth. So here's, here's a secret for you today. If he is telling you something, he is lying to you. That's incorrect. But I think as children of God, it's time for us to reverse the curse. Because if he has told you you're not going to make it, you know what that tells me? That's not true. So the truth must be, I am going to make it. If he's told you you're not going to be healed, you need to flip that thing around. I am going to be healed. If he's told you your family's not going to be saved, you need to turn that thing around and say, my family's going to be saved. You need to reverse the curse this morning. He cannot speak the truth. Because there are new converts in here. The devil play against your mind. Tell you you can't make it and you can't get rid of addictions. And you can't overcome this and you can't do that. You need to reverse that this morning. He's telling you that because he knows the opposite. Amen. That you are going to come out of that. You are going to be set free from that. It's oh yes. Come on somebody. And he's a good liar. He's the, he's the originator. If you've ever met a good liar, you haven't met once until you had an encounter with the enemy. He's very convincing. But there is no truth in him. Will you do me a favor for the next few weeks where the enemy comes lying to you, whatever he tells you, you speak the opposite vocally. I'm telling this as a church family in this community for the church. 
That whenever God even speaks stuff into your spirit about the church, how this isn't going to happen or that's not going to happen. I tell you what, as a pastor, what I got to do, Brother Fred, I got to switch that thing around. If you said we're not going to grow, then we're going to grow. If you said we're not going to prosper, then we're going to prosper. If you said, if you said, if you said, hey, there's no truth in you. There's nothing found in there. He has nothing but empty promises. For the same measure, let me talk to you today. If he's trying to persuade you away from the church and telling you how good that is, just as much as he can tell you something bad and it's a lie, he can tell you that something's good and that's a lie. Just as soon as he'll start telling you, oh God, help me, that it's better out there and you're really being limited and you're being you're confined by being the church, honey, you need to turn that around and say, no, I'm set at liberty being in the church and it isn't any better out there than what it is in the church. Somebody needs to expose the tactics and the devices of your adversary. Telling you you'll be happy if you do this. No, that's not the truth. You'll be in your worst sorrow if you do that. Mm. No truth in that fool. There's no truth in him. And I feel the Holy Ghost in here. Can we just raise our hands right now? Master, I love you today. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Yes, God. Yes, God. You know, I started, this is going to probably be bizarre to a few people, but I started thinking this morning, Bishop, so I was tying up some loose ends this morning. And I began thinking, and again, this might be bizarre to some, okay? The people that we have had before that have had unclean spirits. For some of you, this is going to seem really out there, okay? But it's happened, folks. I can tell you right now, there's that people tell you. Unclean spirits, demonic possession. And hear the adversary speak through such a one and tell, I'm going to kill him. You know what? That was a lie. For one thing, he has no power to destroy both the body and the soul. And now, in retrospect, whenever I've heard some of that stuff, you know what? I should have just accepted that was a lie. You know what? That, they're going to live. They're going to come up out of this. They're going to go forward because his tactics are the same. Genesis chapter number 3. Let's read a few verses of Scripture in, in the book of Genesis, Genesis 3. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 because this is where all the tactics of the enemy, for the most part, are just unveiled, uncurtained right here in the very beginning. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat 
of every tree of the garden. Question form, first of all, so he is imposing and putting in a little questioning, a little doubt. And then his statement within itself, did not God say ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Uh, here again, then, he is speaking a bold-faced lie. From the beginning. And, and the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Lie number two. He's a liar. Ye shall not surely die. Now, how be it when she and her husband had partaken of it, they did not die per se in the physical realm, boom, right away. But there was a spiritual death that took place. And regardless, where the Lord said, in the day that ye eat thereof, ye shall die. You know, there's in, in a court, yes. In a court system, whenever a person says they're going to be given, uh, this, this is what's going to happen. This is the sentence that is cast upon an individual. Then they give the proclamation of the execution of the sentence. So the sentence is, you're going to die the execution is as we spoke last week. There's some time on the calendar that has your appointment with it of death. At this point in time, whatever they ate, man and woman became mortals. They now, they, there wasn't going to be this eternal life as they knew it. They were now mortals. They were going to die. But he's lying to her again. He said, you shall not, you shall not surely die. <laughs> Verse 5 for God doth know that in the days ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods. Boy, he's a liar. Knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did You know the way that the enemy began to weave his web in the life of Eve and Adam for that matter? First look, had not God said such? He had them to start doubting what God had said to them. And he further through the process of, of it all and saying that the Lord said you're going to die and he says you're not going to die. He's causing more doubt. What is he doing here? He is chipping away at the relationship that Adam and Eve had with their God. Because if he could dissolve the relationship he can come in now as the knight in shining honor. Honor, uh, you don't, you don't, you eat this tree. You're not going to die. You're still going to have life. See, he's just keeping you from something. So he came chipping away at their relationship. The tactic is no different today, folks. The very thing that he zeroes in on in your life is to somehow chip away at your relationship with your God, cause you to. Doubt God and what God has said and what God wants to do in your life. He wants to create that. Because you'll notice, if you begin to doubt the validity of somebody's words, what 
do you do? You start pushing yourself a little because you don't want to have no contact with something like that because you don't know, man, if it's up or down, left or right. And you, you can't trust. You can't trust somebody like that that's not a person of their word. So he wants to break your trust in your God. Mm-hmm. And then walk in like the, the Prince Charming, you know, that has all the answers. Uh-huh. He planted some seeds in doubt, of doubt there in Eve's mind. Amen. Look what's happening, though. He is such a conniving creature. Her obedience to God, her obedience to God and remained obedience to God, if she had, was going to lead her to the very thing that she desired, life, eternal life. She was already set up for that. And he comes in as though God's not going to give you that. Look what I got. And by doing that, then she's headed in the opposite direction that she... If the enemy says that he can do something for you that God can't do for you, give you a feeling or something that God can't, the reality of the situation is this. You're probably already headed in the right direction for that and he's just put detour in your path. And here's what's so frustrating, folks. Because we allow these same age-old tactics that we would, we would succumb to these age-old tactics. And in doing so, we find ourselves, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating sometimes for me to look at people's lives and see them be walking in the path that, man, they're desiring and wanting to enjoy and what God has for them, only for the enemy to tell them different. So they head off this way in a detour. And then you know what? It seems like you never come back at the same spot in the road. You never come back at the same spot in the road. So we start over here again, and we're treading some, some paths and some ways that we've already treaded before. And he never wants us to make any progress. He never wants us to go beyond a certain point because he knows somewhere along the line in that journey, they're going to get to a place that that mile marker in the road's not going to meet anything. That that juncture, that detour is not going to... He wants us just to get in this little cycle of being with God and not with God. Get to that same point in the road and take a detour. Start all over again. Get in that point in the road. and start. But honey, we can. I'm not ignorant of his devices. i got to realize, hey, this is where I strayed before. This is where I had trouble before. This is where I accepted his life before. i got to just continue on past that. And whenever I get past that there's not another one of those exactly in my future that's behind me now I don't have to walk that same old path and that same old route amen he's got devices he's a creature of habit and he does things just very similar to what he has done before told them that that your eyes shall be open and you shall be as God you're going to get some enlightenment whenever you eat of this tree. Look at this. The first lie, look, the first lie he told them was a promise of life. And the opposite was true. It was a promise of certain death. Mm -hmm. The second promise now, you're going to be enlightened, is a promise of hope. He said, then your eyes shall be open and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil, in verse number five. It's almost trying to uh, influence her that where she was right now, her life was being regulated. You're being held back some. 
from being able to truly take advantage of and enjoy everything there's able to take advantage of and enjoy trying to convince her you're kind of being regulated the enemy will do it to the best of us tell us that the life that we live right now for the Lord we're being regulated a little bit we're being held back oh yeah they were because let's notice what happened after she ate she now has sorrowed and sorrow and childbirth she would have never known before man now he's been working the ground but now he's going to work it with the sweat of his brow uh-huh now curses yeah there was some real enlightenment that went on enemy yeah I was really being regulated and pulled back from some things the things that she was pulled back from I guarantee you if she could reverse it she'd rather be still kept from those type of things from the pain and the agony of child uh, birth and from, from the man by the sweat of his brow bringing bread to his table amen now now we even look at this folks now if you even think about it, now their health can even be taken advantage of uh huh Never happened. You want to talk about sickness around here? That'd been nil none. Had it never been for this episode right here. And he told her, huh, "Wow, you he he's got to be a good liar if he can tell somebody that there'll be a God and they believe it." <laughs> but they're still believing it today. So look at the progression of the evil. So he tells Eve. You can live forever. He tells her that if you take of this fruit here, it's kind of going to elevate your status, you know. Going to elevate your status here. Promised her basically that she could have life and still ignore God's word. Abraham Lincoln said this years ago. He said, most any man can stand adversity. He says, if you really want to test a man's character, give him power. And that's what Satan did to her whenever he said, you'll be as a God's he offered her power he tried the same thing with Jesus Christ in Luke number 4 after the Lord had spent his 40 days in the wilderness and had been tempted he was saying you know turn these stones into bread or jump off the pinnacle of the temple down or fall down and worship me and I'll give you all all the power all the worlds and all the he's trying to give him something he already had but he's trying to make him hungry for power. Amen. And that's what he does to people still yet today. People are uh, largely blinded because they are power hungry. But you, whenever you understand that true power is by being subjected to somebody else in power. Amen. Because if I want to serve in the capacity of power by myself, that's all the power I have. But whenever I serve in an area that I'm under authority, it's not just whatever power I have in my per se ranks that goes before me, but I call on the one that I'm under authority of and say, hey, we need a little backup. <laughs> let, let an officer go in the most compromising situation. It ain't going to be long, folks. He's not going to try to whip out his pistol and take care of business like Clyde by himself. He's going to holler for some backup. Why? Because he knows that there's some power Amen. With those that he's under subjection to. And so when your life, you want to take on the enemy by yourself, you go on. You're trying to fight hell with a water pistol. But you better be under subjection to a higher power that whenever you find yourself in that area, say, God, I, I need some backup right here. And whenever you do that, you got the power that created this universe and everything that's in it and even your life that can come down and go to war. Amen. 
enemy thinks you get you to start believing you this is something you can do by yourself and you live your life by yourself you can route out your own way dig your own trench so to speak it can't be done folks we must and we better have the Lord we need the Lord amen the enemy tools and weapons I mentioned them a little earlier I'll try to run through a few of those in my remainder of time here but something that the enemy does use and I want to talk about this just very briefly very briefly maybe But whenever we consider the servant Job and what Job went through with the enemy, and I've, I've said this in certain, I've said this to a certain degree and to a certain extent before and elaborated upon this. And where the enemy asked about this hedge that the Lord had around Job, that if he would drop that and he could begin to touch the things and the possessions and stuff in his life and did so. For one thing, and uh, for our, our newer people, our newer converts, I want to tell you something. The enemy has no power of his own. The enemy has no power of his own. And he for sure doesn't have any creative power because he is a creature himself. He's part of creation. He has no power of his own. Any power that he has is allotted to him by God. The Lord kind of has the hand on the thermostat or the gauge of how much allowance he allows the enemy to have and whenever his hands on the gauge know this well that he has you in mind hallelujah <laughs> a lot of times we use a scripture a new testament scripture talking about the lord put no more on you than you can bear which is there is no temptation taking you but such is common to man that's really where we derive that little phrase it doesn't literally say that so if you're looking for it you won't find it but it's it's there is no temptation taking you but such is common to man and uh, whenever we do that, we used to, a lot of people just reduce that down to the Lord won't put anything more on you than you can bear. In reality, the Lord won't put anything on you more than what he can bear. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So, so all this has taken place. So, so Job, Job's life is being impacted. I've said this before, all of his possessions. And I, I believe this is a direct pattern for a modern day. And then the enemy comes back, you know, he says, well, you know, if you'll let down this, you know, you got a hedge around his body, his life. And he started afflicting him with boils and his health and stuff started going. I believe this is where we are. I'm telling you today, I'm not just saying this flippantly. I believe with all of my heart this is where we are as a church because he has touched our possessions. He has touched the extremities, our families, and now he's wanting to move in closer and he's touching people's health. He's touching people's health. And this is, some of this stuff, listen to me right now, some of this stuff is just not all medical stuff. Some of this stuff is a spiritual warfare. I'm telling you right now, this is a spirit of infirmity. I'm telling you, and, and I'm probably going way over in a tangent right now, but the only way you can battle against spiritual things is with spiritual things. You can't battle spiritual things with carnal means. Cannot battle spiritual things with carnal means. And so all this taking place, I was talking to Bishop about this one day. We were talking, he was about ready to leave the church, and I said, I tell you what, though. I said, I got some, some good news. I got some confidence. I, my heart is well because I know the enemy couldn't take his life. That's what the Bible says. He said, save his life. You can do all this, but save his life. Can't take his life. So if I'm at this position that my things have been touched, family members have been touched, and he's moved in on my health, there's only one other thing that's left. And that's Job 42 and Job 41 where the latter end of his life is better than the beginning of his life. 
that what he has now in the latter end is more abundant and better and gracious than what he had in the former. So church, I, I, I know the enemy's saying it's getting bad and it's going to get worse, but reverse the curse this morning. It's getting better because he's already taken us to the spot of our health. There's only a one way to go from here and that's up. It's going to get better. He's going to add. He's going to Oh, yes. He's not going to take your life. What's going to happen is God's going to cause blessings to flow upon your life. Whenever you give so far that you're reaching bottom, there's only one way or one place to go. That's up. Huh. And notice, notice, notice what the Scripture told us even. We can go back to my original of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse, verse 3. Verse 3. Thank you, Sister Christy. He said the same way that the serpent aggravated Eve. Look now. The aggravated Eve. He said this, this, this is the dimension now. And this is what really the enemy was dealing with in, in her day. He said, so your minds should be corrupted. Your minds. That's what the enemy was dealing with Eve at in the garden. He was playing with her mind. It was a battle for the mind. Why? Because your mind and your thoughts, your actions are tied to your thoughts. Your actions are tied to your thoughts. It's tied to your mind. And so this is where the warfare is taking place. It's the, you might not see blood laying around here, but if you could see in the spiritual realm in people's minds... There's some wars that are being raged. Because if he can somehow stream or deter your thought processes, he's affected your actions, what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. 1 Corinthians 9.27. Sister the priest today. Paul says, he says, but I keep under my body, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. He said, at least by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castle. He says, I know there's some things about me, about my flesh, that if I don't keep it pulled in ranks, it's going to lead me places I don't want to go. And I'm going to start doing some things that I'd rather otherwise not be doing. So I know some of my own carnal desires are things that lead me astray. That's the reason then we follow up with James 1.14, talking about temptation. Temptation, what does that happen? It happens in your mind. Happens in your thought process before it ever becomes an action. It happens in your thought process. And he said in verse number 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Verse 15, and then when lust have conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. So it all starts here in our mind. And as we, as we meditate upon these things and our thoughts are unbridled, carnal thoughts unbridled and they roam without restraint. Amen. We find ourselves sometimes having lustful thoughts and lustful desires. And before long, there's going to come the unction to want to act upon those things. But that's where you got to cut it off ahead of time. Listen, he did it with Eve. Tactics had not changed. They are exactly the same. Reason why the apostle told us in Philippians 4 8, if you're a new convert this morning, you need to write this down. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, 
whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Be in church to hear the preaching of the word. Find yourself some good gospel music if you've got to listen to it back and forth to work on your commute. Because there's other hours that you don't have no control over that. And there's garbage infiltrating your head. And there's old voices that begin to speak. And you need to fill that mind with some good, pure, honest, lovely, virtuous stuff. Because it's going to affect your actions. The enemy is a deceiver. The tactic and weapon that he has is deception. John 10.10 10 told us, but the thief cometh. This is his mode of op operation here. To steal and to kill and to destroy. And ladies and gentlemen, since no truth lies in him, and it's impossible then therefore for him to do good, he's got to hide his conniving ways under a blanket of something. I mean, his nature is not all that well, so he's got to disguise it. Because if he just walked around just bowed face as he is, yep, there he is, liar, cheater, <laughs> deceiver. He's got to disguise himself. And he disguises himself. Look at this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, starting with verse 13, the Bible says, For such are false prophets. That is a big problem here at the Corinthian church. He said, For such are false prophets. They're deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Verse 14. And no marvel that I spoke earlier. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Verse 15. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. He is a deceiver. He's infiltrated our education and school systems, our government and our political systems. He's replacing the Genesis account of creation with a series of improvable theories of evolution in our school systems. Colleges are more adamant now about kids just displacing everything they've been taught up to that point in time. Amen. Because there's a retraining and a reworking of the mind to be a little bit more open. But I still go back, and if you can't be sold on this, you probably won't be sold on the rest of Scripture of Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God. Amen. If we can't get past those few opening phrases and words of scripture we need not go any further because that's everything else is predicated upon that right there in the beginning God so things will happen I got to close don't I so he causes us he causes us to doubt has doubt come in there are the question there's doubt society and the culture the way that it's streamed in causes us to doubt how can a church be so different than its society? Because we're coming more and more different. What? It's not so much that we've changed. The difference is so, it seems like it's, it's escalated and it's so different. Man, the church is so different. It's not that we've changed our differing. The world has changed the severity of where they're at. It's getting worse. So by all appearances, it looks like there's a greater difference between the church and the world. 
Uh-huh. The church is maintained where they're at, but the world has continually gotten worse, so it looks like there's a great gulf because of where the world's went. When we used to have an air of people at least having some good morals, you know, uh, you know, having a little bit of decency about them, man, that has been cast to the wind now. The church has always been the church. It's the world is waxing worse and worse. So that's the reason why, you know, believers of this day, man, we're so different from them. Well, actually, we need to reverse that. They're so different from us. We've been a constant through the ages of time. Because doubt and unbelief come in. Hollywood will paint it. Their movies and pictures and so on and so forth. People of uh, just elusive lifestyles cause you to doubt because the status quo's changed. The status quo's changed. What's acceptable has changed. It'll make you doubt if you're normal because there's a new normal. Mm -hmm. You know the old phrase, well, everybody's doing it. Well, that's becoming more and more proliferated in our society for a variety of things because there's a new per se normal. But don't let the culture outside of the church set what your normal is. Amen. All right, I got to close. I'll close. Stand with me. So he's got empty promises. Again, this morning, if there's anything that you walk away from today, let it be that there's no truth in him. He's the liar and the originator and the father of it. Uh, seriously, if there's anything you walk away, remember that when he lies to you, I'm asking you for the next few weeks, when he lies to you, because he can't, t he can't tell you the truth, that whenever he speaks to you, you need to reverse that around. Whenever he tells Andrew McGee, Andy, you're not going to make it, man. You're failing. You know what? He can't tell the truth. The devil can't tell the truth. So the opposite is true. You are going to make it, and you're progressing. Mm -hmm. I think we need to do that around here. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads in this place this morning, God. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.